Yes, and every time you crack the book, you're face-to-face with God. And so it doesn't matter whether you're doing your devotions or reading. For Greek exegesis, you are in the Word of God and you're face with God. And it's great to hear the passion of, of that young man to uh, reach lost people with the, uh, with the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And I do, I do pray that for all of us, that will infect us in many in good and powerful ways. So it's great to hear that and great to hear his passion. And I hope that, uh, I trust that all of that will rub off on all of us with the same kind of passion to reach the world with the beautiful gospel of Christ. Thanks for coming to chapel. Appreciate it. Appreciate you coming here. Um, I know, anyhow, I, I appreciate the fact that we have faculty here, we have staff here, we have seminary students here, we have guests here, we've got college students here. It's uh, great to see you. It's great to be here. Great to be able to talk to you folks. I don't get to do this much anymore, and it's great to see all of you. Uh, One further comment. Please continue to pray for our dear friend and colleague, Dr. Stan Fowler. Um, I was there to to see him about a week and a half ago, Um, and I went with my pastor, and... um, and it was just such a joy to go in there. I just his face just lit up when, when we came in and talked to him. We talked. We were there for about an hour, and it's a very difficult conversation. He can't speak. Um, he can nod, you know, use his eyes, left hand, uh, but he can't walk. And uh, it's just it's just a horrible grief uh, to walk out of that house and just realize where this man is right now and and we live in a broken and cursed world and um and uh we're not home yet we're not home yet uh, the new jerusalem has not yet come and uh this is an evidence of that and and by the way in everything i'm going to talk about here I would say Dr. Fowler epitomizes all that is so good and so right about the kinds of things that I'm going to point you to today. A true servant who lived out a servant sacrificial spirit. Um, But in contrast to all that, we are being dominated by a man and his military drunk with power and out of control. In the last four-plus weeks, Ukrainian women, children, men, the elderly, infants have been displaced, maimed, and broken, killed in the face of a brutal and criminal invasion. Millions of people have been displaced. Thousands have been killed. We're in a world driven by power, pride, wealth, fame, position, and aspirations for empire. And not only is the world aghast and angry, but so is God. God cares for and loves his people, the church, but he also loves the world. I think most of us know a text called John 3.16. He loves the world. And I believe that God has revolted against humanity's inhumane actions toward each other. And all we have to do is read Amos 1 to see that. And so we bring the voices of Scripture into play, the voices of the psalmists. And we hear 
Arise, O Lord, strike the enemy on the jaw, break the teeth of the wicked. Arise, Lord, lift up your hand, O God. Do not forget the helpless. Break the arm of the wicked and evil man. Call him into account for his wickedness. And yes, we heed and hear Jesus' words to love our enemies, but we speak with the psalmist, the apostles, and Jesus against institutions and those that lead them, institutions and movements that bring harm and death to God's people and to humanity in general. But the struggle with all of that is that while certainly not in degree, and I certainly hope not, many of us struggle with it in kind. The same temptation for power, pride, position, fame, notoriety. And this is probably no better illustrated in the story that Mark tells in his gospel. And I understand that the theme for this semester has been the Gospels and the life of Jesus, and so I'm more than happy to fit into all of that. So I invite you to come with me in your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. I'm going to start at verse 35. I'm going to walk through the story with you in a couple of minutes. It's a, it's a story that's, that's world-changing. It's worldview-changing. It's a story that's a little bit humorous, you can't help but chuckle a little bit <laughs> over what these guys were asking. You just kind of go, really, guys? Really? It's a little bit pathetic. And, but at the same time, it's worldview shifting. And it articulates the absolute contrast to the kind of horrific stuff we're seeing in our world today. So what we're going to see here is this. In contrast to the normal worldview of aspiration for power and position, Jesus is going to tell his disciples that the foundational character and spirit of his kingdom is one of servanthood, humility, and sacrifice for others. Related specifically to the church, we will see in this passage that we find the essential nature of the church must be one. Of servanthood, humility, and sacrifice for others. If we are going to be considered in any way part of Christ's kingdom. Or we could state it again as it's not just better that we serve each other. It's essential, critical, and necessary to live out a spirit of servanthood if we're going to be even considered a community of Jesus Christ. The ways of Putin have no place in the church in either degree or in kind. But the temptation is there. And even among those who have followed Jesus most closely, <laughs> and their names are James and John, sons of thunder. Four movements in this story. In the first movement we find in verses 35 down to verse 42, 
And in this movement, in this little section of the story, Jesus reminds his people, reminds us of how the world's value system is structured. So he kind of sets up the negative side of things. All right, and so the story begins with, then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him and said, Rabbi, teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Now, it's, it's hilarious. The fact that they, they had even the gall to, to even ask this question. And, and the even funnier part of it is, in Matthew, the same story is told by Matthew but the way he tells it, it's their mother that comes to Jesus and says, can my two little boys sit, one on the right and one on the left? <laughs> you, gotta, you, you almost think that the, those two guys must have went, oh, mom, stop it. But here, the way Mark tells it, and, and Mark is the first writer. He's, he's the guy that tells the first story, tells the first time. And Matthew is building off that, we, we, we think. And so it's very interesting to see how those two stories are kind of told in different ways. And, and by the way, I have no idea how to answer that. Talk to Dr. Baxter. He's the guy that's in charge of the Synoptic Gospels, all right? So he will solve all your problems on how to figure that out. You're welcome. <laughs> it's great to throw somebody under the bus. So, you know, it's, it's, it's hilarious to, to see this, right? James and John's the sons of the rabbi. And Jesus asked this question, and it's going to be an important question because we're going to see it later. What do you want me to do for you, they asked. He asked. And they replied, let us one of you uh, sit at your right hand and the other at your left in glory. What? You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. You haven't got a clue what you're talking about. Can you drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? And I love their answer. We can bring it on. <laughs> and Jesus says, look what he says. You will drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. You guys have no idea what you're talking about. But guess what? It's coming. Hang on to your hat. But to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. The story goes on a little bit in this little section. When the ten heard about this, they, give, they became indignant with James and John. Can you imagine the other ten going, what are those guys doing? Right? Indignant. I love the word. And Jesus called them together and said, and now he talks about, and we've got to be careful with form and function here, right? Uh, he's talking about form, but it's reflective of a function. All right, and while there has to be administrative structures, I'm not trying to, uh, not to argue against those kinds of things, but he's dealing with the spirit that drives uh, the power structures of, of those outside the kingdom. And Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. So you have this structure, right? One on top of another, and power structures playing down through uh, the system. Well, it, it's an issue of values. It's an issue of virtues. It's an issue of the spirit of the kingdom. And Jesus is confronting this, this worldview that says, see who I am, see what I do, see what I've got, 
see my title and position and my power over others. And unfortunately, this stuff begins to seep into the life of the church. Names and titles and recognition. And when asked to do certain things like help feed the poor, help set up tables, help do things that are menial, some of us kind of go, you want me to do what? A critical foundational move in establishing the community of Christ is to recognize that we need to root out these weeds of lordship and power. The values of the world are, that are so appealing and that seems so necessary for success are diametrically opposed to anything that we call Christian or the church or Christ. But now Jesus turns the tables. He's kind of set up the negative side, and we kind of look at that with a little bit of, you know, disbelief. Wow. But when we look seriously at it, we realize that in some ways we're seeing our own faces reflected in that mirror. I know I do. And it's convicting. But in a brief, succinct statement, Jesus confronts the normal and usual kind of pervasive thinking. And the second move, second movement in the story is just a brief statement. And after he talks about the Gentiles lording it over them and that kind of thing, he says, not so with you. Four words that turn the tables. Not so with you. He announces the revolutionary nature of the kingdom. The call is to counterculture, to radical lifestyle and values. The world system with its values on authoritarianism, power, prestige, seeking, rank, pulling is not to be part of the life and spirit of God's people. It must be something different, very different. And way back, I know this is ancient history, some of you, for others of us, we remember it. <laughs> 1988 and 89, London Baptist Bible College and Seminary. Our president had just resigned, and so uh, somebody had to take over as a president, and they persuaded some guy by the name of Barker to do it. And so as an acting president, and heavy on the acting, we, uh, <laughs> I found out, yeah, anyhow, okay, it was, yeah. But across the front of the chapel, the banner, the theme of the year was that phrase, four words, not so with you. And we asked every, every speaker to come into chapel that year and to deal with that kind of theme, the servanthood spirit and spirit of the kingdom. And I trust that we all kind of got it that year. I think it, I think it was effective. So in that brief, succinct statement, Jesus confronts his normal, usual kind of pervasive thinking, not so with you, the radical nature of the kingdom. And then he now goes on and explains it. So he's talked about the normal way of thinking. He's confronted the radical and articulated the radical nature of what the kingdom and how it is different. Now he begins to Explain it. What do you mean, Jesus? What are the implications of what you're saying? 
And now Jesus explains the appropriate value set for the kingdom and of God and the kingdom of God's citizens. And here's what he says. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. For whoever and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. And this is the paradox of the kingdom. Servanthood, not mastery. Last, not first. But it is at the core. It is essential to the life and the vitality of the church. Servanthood is the way to success. And all you got to do is read Philippians 2. And God does want us to be successful. One writer wrote, The world's great people are not its leaders, but its servants. Its servants are the true nobility. Listen to this true story. His wife had left him. He held a prominent place of leadership among the believers. And he lived in a time and place where men and women would go to a temple and there engage in all kinds of horrible, horrible things. Prostitutes and various other things, terrible. Priests and priestesses in this shrine. It was debauched and licentious, horrific, almost impossible to imagine. And this man's wife had left him and had begun to work in that temple. One day he received a vision from God. Go get her and bring her home. You've got to be kidding. She left me. It will be humiliating. It, 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 we, I can't do this. Go get her. The ultimate humiliation, ultimate meekness, ultimate servanthood to her, to God, to the people that he was a prophet among. And so up to the temple he went, up to this shrine, and he spoke to her. The men and probably women in the room probably laughed, whooped. She's hot. And they knew who, who he was, her husband. Come home with me, he said to her. And for whatever reason, the story does not tell us, she came. And so humiliated, serving her, serving God, serving the nation, he brought her home and rebuilt the marriage. Two sons were born to them. Her name was Gomer. His name was Hosea. Servanthood, humility, sacrifice, and suffering, an example of what God's kingdom and church is all about, an illustration of what God has done for us through Christ. For you see, folks, Old Testament Israel, church, you and me, so many times, are Gomer. But Jesus' teaching is clear. The way up in the kingdom of God is defined in terms of servanthood, submission, self-sacrifice, and frankly, suffering. For you see, the way up is down. 
But then Jesus, are you serious? Are you prepared to live by this kind of ethic? And we come into the fourth part, the fourth movement of the story. And Jesus declares that he models the Christian, the radical Christian lifestyle in this fourth movement. So he says, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus, who came through the funnel of the incarnation, the funnel of the kenosis, a funnel with an infinite mouth and a microscopic speck or its microscopic spout has come to us as fully God through this funnel in order to seek and to save those who are lost in order to not to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many notice how he did it Servanthood, suffering, sacrifice to the point of death. How do we think that we're going to affect our world? Through power, through control, through mastery? You may have heard of a poem by Ruth Harms and a poet and writer who wrote in the 70s and 80s. She writes this. You know how I serve you with great emotional fervor in the limelight? You know how I eagerly speak for you at a women's club? You know how I effervesce when I promote a fellowship group? You know my genuine enthusiasm of a Bible study? But how would I react, I wonder, if you pointed to a basin of water and asked me to wash the callous feet of a bent and wrinkled old woman, old woman day after day, month, month after month, in a room where nobody saw and nobody knew? So what's our response to all this? What impact, what impact and application does this have? Well, the first thing, we have this amazing encounter with Jesus of Nazareth. An amazing, amazing encounter with our Christ, with our God, with our, with our Savior, with our captain, with the head of the church. Jesus called the, is called the Eved Yahweh by Isaiah. And Isaiah writes four beautiful songs all about this Eved Yahweh, the servant of the Lord. And they come to us in the New Testament, quoted by New Testament writers. There's amazing good news here. There's amazing gospel. This is amazing. The kingdom of God and the church that shows off that kingdom is a place of humility and sacrifice and servanthood. It's not a place of power and prestige and position and pride. At least it's not supposed to be if Jesus is truly its head. So all people are welcome. You and me, we are all welcome. And we invite all and everyone into this place and movement called the church rooted in this Jesus of Nazareth who took on James and John and showed how wrong they were in order to show that we're all welcome. We're facing a worldview shift here, aren't we? This is mind-boggling. We are so driven by the powers and values of, of the world that are antithetic to Christ and his kingdom. We have to think differently. And as we set up our administrative and leadership structures in our churches and, and even amongst your student body and even in our school, yes, we need those administrative structures. I get it. But it has to somehow be infused with this spirit 
that Jesus is talking about here and have to account for this foundational ethic. And so we have to ask, what is our response? Age, gender, place in life, giftings and talents, personalities, where we are in the spiritual journey, we're so different. But, you know, and I know where I am. I have been in this passage dozens of times. And I worked on it for a couple hours this morning again. And I'll tell you, it just, it rocked my world. And I speak to you out of that rocked world. On the side of the road, marginalized by everybody. Be quiet, as he's crying out, right? Be quiet. And Jesus stops. And look at verse 51. Guess what? The exact same question. Worded slightly different in the Greek text, but essentially the same question. What do you want from me? What do you want me to do for you? And you know what blind Bartimaeus said? Look at his answer. Rabbi, I want to be able to see. Hmm. I wonder which one got the answer right. Stand with me and we'll be dismissed with a reading from Isaiah. Listen to the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit upon him and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. Here is my servant, my Eved. Faithfulness, he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged until he establishes justice on the earth. And in his teachings, the islands will put their hope. God bless you all. You are dismissed.